fell asleep in church. Oh, welcome everyone to the second pot. Uh, I am Caleb Spiker here with Serena Wolf. And we are neck deep into conversations on systematic theology here at Trinity. Um, so this is going to be a fun one. This will be one where, you know, normally we say we're wrong about 30% of what we say and we don't know what 30%. I would say comfortably we're up to 35 to 37% of what I say today will be wrong. And I have no idea what it is. Oh, we're going to have to talk about that. All right. So uh, I got my first COVID vaccine on Tuesday. And yesterday my arm was achy all day. So when I went to bed, I didn't want my arm to wake me up through the night. So I took some Tylenol PM. And I am tired as we record this. So I'm really looking forward to this uh, energy drink review. Yeah, so we have uh, something called C4, which I saw Justin Fields just signed as a celebrity endorser of. So what C4 does uh, for someone who has epilepsy, I'm not sure. Um, but I would think those two don't exactly mix. But, you know, he has it under control. He's, uh, he's still balling out, going to be drafted high, hopefully, and uh, good for him. Which sports ball does he play, Caleb? Go home. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm not even joking, but that's okay. You don't have to say it. I'm sure you, everyone listening you, to this podcast You people hear what this. I have to deal with on a daily basis. Terrible. What sports ball does Justin Fields play? My goodness. Are you going to make me Google it? Because I know you love it when you say something and people Google it. I do. Who loves orange soda? Kel loves orange soda. <laughs> and this stuff tastes like orange soda. Straight up just... Oh, man. Yeah, it does. Crush and sun-kissed and yeah. Oh, this is really good. Oh, yeah. New leader in the clubhouse. Not even close. I cannot conceive of an energy drink tasting better than this. This is really good. And it says superhuman performance. Hey. Anytime I see an energy drink say something like that, I'm like, challenge accepted. Because if anyone can prove whether or not something gives you superhuman performance, it's me. Because my the bar is so low for my standard. That yeah, I, I was gonna say I'd be happy if I if something could just get me up to like standard human performance. <laughs> that mm. is delicious. Mm -hmm. Carnison, Beta Power. It gives us two hundred milligram of caffeine. Look at that! Thirsty for more? Join C Four Rewards and earn ten dollars credit today. You know I'm gonna. All right. I so ha have you taken uh, supplements with beta alanine before, Serena? I don't. I don't think so. Oh man, you're gonna get tingly. 
I don't. You, you what are, is you that? aren't going to know what's wrong with you. So beta alanine is uh, it is it's an amino acid um, that has become popular in you know pre workout supplements, and one of the side effects of it is that it makes you tingly. So like oftentimes it'll be like in your lips, um, or sometimes like like on your elbows. Like it's it's weird where it hits. It hits different for different people all the time. Uh, I had a buddy once who got the tingles like in his butt crack. <sighs> I was taking a drink when you said that. That was really frightening. I almost spat out my drink on my computer. Yeah, it well, was it was quite the day. Um, as long as the tingles come in an appropriate part of my body to share, <laughs> I'll keep you posted. <laughs> But uh, if my experience is similar to your friend, I'm just going to tell you I have no tingles. <laughs> Fair <laughs> Man, enough. This is really good. It's delicious. Yep. I hope my body processes this quickly because I am so tired. All right. Give it a 10. Nine, 9.5, right? Like, we, we, there is... There is, in theory, a diet Mountain Dew, like a an energy drink that tastes just like Diet Mountain Dew that will exceed this. But this is this is delicious. Like this is this is really good. Mm -hmm. Like this is better than like Diet Sunkist or Diet Crush. Like it tastes like full test orange soda it really does i'm i'm gonna go and give it a 10 because um so good because yeah it's it's i would drink this again maybe maybe we'll see what happens over the next you know half hour or so yeah i mean i, I, I just want to chug I, it i would drink this for pleasure exactly I mean, we'll see if it has a uh, a uh, ergogenic benefit but there is no aftertaste no um, it is, it is a zero sugar drink, but it's Man, clearly way to go. Justin Fields going with, with the best one. Yeah. Google him. I am picking up my phone now. I am opening my Google app and I am typing Justin Fields football quarterback. All right. There you go with ep epilepsy, huh? That's awesome. Good for him. Yeah, they, they just, uh, it was breaking news yesterday. Now, he's known he's had it since he was like six oh, yeah. years old and has been managing it. And Ohio State knew that he had it. And chances are all the teams that have talked to him leading up to the draft have known that he has Aww. it. Ohio State, so he's like a local boy. I mean, not I mean, probably he's from, from, from Georgia, Ohio, but yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah, he's he's if a you play for Ohio State. We claim you as that's right local. That's not, right. Not local in the same way that like Twenty One Pilots is local, but still nah, more local than Twenty One Pilots. Wrong. Mm. Just saying. Okay, so yeah, uh, this is this is really good. I give it a ten. It uh, is not as sweet as Bang. Like you can actually taste something other than sweetness. Mm-hmm. Man, so here's what's scaring me about these energy drink reviews at this point, Caleb. 
our um, brands are quickly dwindling. Mm. It's true. To the point where we're going to have to start looking at Monster and Red Bull. Or we could go with the Pepsi or Coke, right? Like those energy drinks. You know, what we could do is uh, the good people at C4 Nutribolt in Austin, Texas could hear this and just send us the whole flavor line. And, I mean, if the others are, you know, in this ballpark, you know, they're all going to be at the top of the list because this is, this is really good. They could, but, but neither one of us are going to be drafted to the NFL, and we probably have a total of five listeners now. So, and three uh, who who can actually get to the end of this review and aren't going to give up on us. <laughs> so, for those of you who are you know still with us, thank you. We will start talking about you know church stuff here eventually. But I am creating our podcast using a slick little app called Podcast Chapters. So, if you are listening to this via uh, an like a podcast player, right? Not just downloaded. You should be able to skip ahead through the different sections. Hmm. But you don't want to miss this because sometimes I burp. We talk about tingling. I'm not going to finish my thought there. I'm not going to finish my thought. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, this is good stuff. Uh, I'm going to finish this up and then we can talk some theology, man. Yeah. And talk about my favorite saint. Saint Athanasius is my favorite. I mean, Saint Athanasius is the man. Mm. Like, so let's go ahead, start the next section, and let's just keep talking about Saint Athanasius. All right. So. Caleb, before you talk about Saint Athanasius, check out my new stickers on my laptop. Ooh. Now, <coughs> So Joan of Arc, Mother Teresa. No, not ma- uh, no, not Mother Teresa. I'd have to go back through. Okay, so let me describe this to the listeners. Um, I now have three new stickers on my MacBook Pro, up in the upper right corner. I have the back of the medallion of Saint Benedict. I don't want to talk about that too much because at some point we'll probably talk about Saint Benedict and his rule. This stuff really makes me burp, man. Um, but then down in the left lower corner of my MacBook, I have two new stickers. One is a sticker of black saints of the church. One is a sticker of women saints, female saints of the church. When was Rosie O'Donnell canonized? It's not Rosie O'Donnell. I can't, I can't pronounce her name. I haven't looked her up yet because I was surprised to see, uh, so she's not fully saint yet. She's, she's blessed. Okay. Right, so she's in process of being. Is it like famous. Dorothy Day or something? No, I don't think. So. I don't. I don't think so. I'll have to look it up. Most of these um, are not. I mean, okay. So let's be honest. Most saints are not. You know, not American, right? Yes. Uh, it's not. True. Not. Yeah. I so, can't think of any American saints actually. <clears throat> but this, yeah. Uh, looking at my black saints, uh, this one right here. This Augustine is the reason. Augustine of Hippo. Yeah. That's the reason I got, uh, no. Or is this that is this is Athanasius? That's Athanasius. Okay. I believe this is this is Augustus Augustine August. I need to yeah. drink more energy drink, Caleb. That's what yeah. I'm getting at. But but there is Athanasius on that. He was the first saint that I actually ever read. I read him in Doctor Justice Hunter's 
Christian history or the history of the church, however, they, whatever they call the church mm, history mm-hmm, course at United, mm-hmm. had to read that in church history, and I fell in love. Yeah, I mean, Athanasius. Like, and here is, like, when people want to walk away from the tradition of the church, the faith that's been handed down to us, it's like, I just, I can't fathom the arrogance that says, yeah, Augustine, Athanasius, Anselm, Aquinas. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and all of the other smart people in church history whose names didn't start with A. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm smarter than all of them. They, you know, they were just ignorant. Like, mm-hmm. who are you? Mm-hmm. Give me a break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, also, so you know, my other favorite saint is uh, Maximus the Confessor, mm. just because he was hardcore. He was hardcore. They told him to stop preaching the gospel. He refused. Cut off his tongue. So he wrote the gospel. So they cut off his hand. Then they exiled him because he still was trying to communicate, put him in a tower in the middle of nowhere uh, where he eventually, I think, died of pneumonia. But this dude, like, there was nothing stopping him. Athanasius, he was at uh, the Council of Nicaea. He, mm-hmm. was, he was a driving force behind uh, much of our theology out of Nicaea. I mean, he, he is the the thought leader that saved us from Arianism. I love it. Yeah. So, um, so like I said, we have been kind of taking a, a, you know, relatively deep dive into the apostles creed, um, on Sunday mornings, doing a little, uh, systematic theology around the, the lines of the creed. Um, and we are in the second paragraph right now, which deals with the sun. Um, and Serena, more or less, what I'm doing is giving a book report on St. Athanasius's On the Incarnation. Um, now, am I doing a particularly good job of it? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm trying. He's a lot smarter than me. So, right? there, so there's a reason why... Uh, <laughs> You know, he's a saint, and I'm, you know, not. Uh, so just to clarify, at the beginning in our intro, you were like, I'm going to say 35% of what I say is wrong. And I went, oh, we got to talk about that. Because anytime you quote St. Athanasius, I'm going to say that what you're saying is probably not wrong. <laughs> Any commentary you provide, Caleb, on St. Athanasius very fallible. Is, is, you know. Incredibly but, fallible. Anyway, so uh, St. Athanasius, he was built, or he was built, he was born um, sometime around the turn of the 4th century, so somewhere between 295 and 300. Um, We don't know exactly his birthday, but uh, based on some of the other context from times of his life, like how he was made a bishop in 328, and we don't think they allowed anyone to be bishop until they were 30. Uh, the idea that he would have been less than 30, even though people were freaking out because he was super young, and they're like, like, we understand he's 30, but he's still only 30. Um, you know, So like 298, maybe 295, maybe they, you know, 
maybe they slid on the rules a little bit and he was born in 299 or 300. But anyway, sometime there between 295 and 300, uh, St. Athanasius was born, which means he lived through the last great persecution of Christians when he was like an elementary age kid. Um, under Diocletian, they're in around like 305 to 312 ish. Um, we see the last great persecution of Christians, which he would have lived through. Um, and in 318, he is um, he is discipling a new Christian, and he writes two two books. Um, the one which we are reading now on the incarnation, and a second one, um, who Serena probably knows the title of, but it is slipping my mind right now. Against, uh, the against the Gentiles against Harris against. Okay, so we've got uh, yeah against the Gentiles. Okay. He wrote against the Gentiles on the incarnation and the life. Of Antony, which is stinking incredible. We'll get to that. So anyway, so 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 <laughs> here he is um, in uh, in three eighteen. He writes these two books, um, which are written to a specific person. Um, they, you know, there's not really an indication that the idea is that these would be books that are read throughout all of church history. Um, but he is discipling a single person who, like him, grew up in the Greek world, um, and he writes first a refutation of um, sort of the the Greek meta narrative, and then follows it up with this book on the Incarnation, which becomes a huge piece of the Council of Nicaea in three twenty five. And um, defeating Arianism, which is the idea that Jesus uh, once was not, um, that Jesus is not eternally divine. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's it is a massive work um, in world literature. It is a massive work for us as Christians and how we understand um, Christology who Jesus is, why Jesus takes on human form, what that looked like. Um, and as I read it, it comes into even sharper focus why it's so difficult to talk about the Trinity. Because here's this super genius, St. Athanasius, who's having trouble doing it too, <laughs> right? Like the, the some of the, the concepts that are present here within the first, you know, 300 years of the church, you know, that have been passed down, um, that are entrusted to, um, you know, our, our super geniuses like St. Athanasius. So, so there's a, a section. I was reading it again last night, and I read it, and I'm just like, I can't even wrap my head around this, right? So, Well, now, okay, let's hit pause for just a second. So when you read Athanasius, for those who are listening, um, especially like when you read on the incarnation, it's really important to go through um, kind of paragraph by paragraph and make sure that you understand 
the central argument of the paragraph because his argument builds, right? Yeah. Um, so we're going to pick up kind of pretty far along in the book or in the, the treaty, uh, but know that this makes more sense if you've gone back and read all of his arguments. Still, it's incredible what he writes. Yeah. You're starting at uh, chapter 17? So I'm going to read the last section of chapter 16 and then pick up chapter yeah. 17. So. so St. Athanasius writes, Jesus' body, uh, he let himself be seen in it, doing acts and giving signs, which showed him to be not only man, but also God the Word. So for St. Athanasius... Um, he uses word a lot more than son. Like the, the idea of Jesus being the word does a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. So John's in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God in the beginning. Um, this, and, and I think part of this is because he was educated by Greeks, right? And the divine logos is a huge deal mm-hmm. in, you know, sort of a Greek meta-narrative of, of uh, how the world works. So going on, uh, there were thus two things which the Savior did for us by becoming man. He banished death from us, and he made us anew. And invisible and imperceptible as in himself he is, he became visible through his works and revealed himself as the word of the Father, the ruler and king in the whole creation. Then, picking up in chapter 17, like just... Ending chapter 16, going to chapter 17. He writes, There is a paradox in this last statement, which we should now examine. The word was not hedged in by his body, nor did his presence in the body prevent his being present elsewhere as well. When he moved his body, he did not cease also to direct the universe by his mind and might. What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do not deny that this is almost certainly what is true, but I just, like, my little hu- puny human brain can't hardly fathom that, that sort of existence. Yeah. Well, and this is, um, this is the mystery of the incarnation, right? Like if Jesus does in fact hold, now the translation I'm looking at uh, says he made himself to be known the word of the father, the ruler and king of the universe, which is, you know, the same as creation, but I think it sounds cooler, king of the universe. If indeed all of creation is held together in Christ Jesus, then although he emptied himself to an extent to, um, you know, to into the incarnation, that divinity, his his divineness, right, like God, man, that God part of the hypostatic union, which you can't really separate from man. Oh, this is hard. Anyway, yeah. you, like that could not stop. That That couldn't stop because whatever Jesus was from the beginning is what Jesus still is. And when we say Jesus holds all things together, despite the fact that he entered into time, and walked among us, uh, he's still holding all things together. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I think for me, like, this is why I love reading this. Because um, I've said this before in different, uh, you know, forms of media to Trinity. But, like, for me, this is an act of worship, right? <laughs> like, sitting here reading this, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, God is so amazing. This is such an act of worship. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, on Sunday after church, I talked to Tyler, your husband, and I said, I am never letting your wife talk me into preaching systematic theology again. What, this, did I talk you into this? this I don't think I talked is you into this. So you didn't talk me out of it. Well, no, because I think, I think teaching on the Apostles' Creed is necessary. You're the one that kept complaining. 30% of evangelicals don't say that Christ is divine. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah well, okay. Yeah. Don't pin this on me, yeah, 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 buddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, whatever, yeah. Aren't I mean, you ultimately responsible, Caleb? Uh, you gotta <laughs> stop. Um, yeah, so here's the problem, right? Like, it is, uh, it's just, it's a lot harder, right? It's, it's a lot harder. You know, it is, it is much easier to take a section of the Gospels, take a section of the Epistles, take an Old Testament story, find something in it that is true, apply it to what's going on in the world right now. I mean, that is a much easier... Um, and I shouldn't even say easier. I don't think that's the right word, but it's, it, is a, uh, it is a task that feels like there is more wiggle room to get it right mm-hmm. than trying to talk about the Trinity, trying to talk mm-hmm. about you know the hypostatic union, trying to talk about these um, these beliefs that we hold um, that we can confess to be true, but being able to move from here is the creed, I affirm everything in the creed, to here's why our church fathers put what they did in the creed and how we know and we can be confident in it that's just it's it's a it's a and by golly it's hard telling uh funny stories (laughs) yeah there are not much funny stories uh you can tell around you you know what you could just do what i did so at confirmation we had this habit that at the opening the first thing I did was I opened this little app from uh, Grow Curriculum, and there are icebreakers. Now, those icebreakers contain questions, but they also contain some dad jokes. And for whatever reason, most, I wonder if my hands are tingling and that, that feels I like bet so. itching to me. Yeah. My, my yeah, palms you've got are the beta itchy. palm. Yeah, I've, I've gotten the, the palm tingles. Yeah, that's a fun one. That's weird. Yeah. Okay, because my palms never itch. That's weird. No, they're not itching. They're tingling. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we would we would start off confirmation more often than not with a dad joke. You could just open 
with a dad joke. Yeah, I don't think okay. that's... Okay, well, you know, I tried. Answer either, but... Oh, well. But yeah, so, I mean, it's... Like, it has been a very edifying experience for me going back and reading St. Athanasius again. But on a weekly basis, the church is over, and I go, man, I don't know if anyone else was edified by by what happened this week, because I feel like I just stumbled over stuff that is, you know, above my pay grade. I mean, I I feel like a kindergartner trying to understand astrophysics. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, it might be fun if there are any listeners, if they, this, this, this tingly thing, Caleb, in my palms is really distracting. (laughs) Okay. This might take uh, the C4 down to like a like a, an eight for me. It's weird. Um, so, you know, it might be fun if after or if at some point we do like a like a book study. I don't know if anyone's into that. Yeah, I'm, I'm game. It's I mean, on the incarnation is relatively short. It is. You know, it's. Uh, the second part is where it gets really like the first part's amazing, right? Like mm-hmm. talking about the nature of the incarnation, but then <clears throat> the second part where he defends uh, the cross and the resurrection. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, this is good stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. So it, it's funny. This may throw us off, but I'm going to do it anyway. Go for it. Um, I on Patreon support a. Uh, a gentleman whose name is Matt Frad. He does a podcast called Pints with Aquinas. Hmm. He is a uh, Catholic. Uh, he has a huge ministry to help men um, escape addiction to pornography. And uh, his, his podcast is just really good. It's really good. So sometimes he has people come on and do debates. And uh, this week, I can't remember the name of the two people, uh, but he had two people debating is... Uh, belief in the resurrection reasonable, right? Like this is more of a philosophical. Mm. Um, now I'm I'm going to say I was completely unimpressed with the person doing the uh, affirmative, right? Mm. I, I hate to say that, but I wasn't impressed. Uh, but the atheist who was arguing against, like, I just want to be like, did you not read this? Did you never read? On the incarnation, because like this is, yeah. Well, and this is this is part of the problem with, and you know, I'm I'm excited that uh, that the youth this summer are going to talk about the intersection of science and religion, um, because like this is the problem when we try to pit the two against each other because mm-hmm. they they aren't answering the same question, right? Um, you know, there's a reason why when you look through church history, our best and brightest have studied both. Yeah. I mean, John Wesley's best-selling book in his lifetime was a anatomy textbook. Mm-hmm. Had a nothing. A little, little bit of health. Yeah, had n- had nothing to do with church stuff. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Edwards, same way, wrote a whole lot more on doing surgery than he did on on church stuff. Likewise, Sir Isaac Newton 
what did the vast majority of his writing energies go towards? Theology. I'm going to have to read some. I've never read any of that. It wasn't that. particularly good theology, okay, but I mean, that's well. like, like he, 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 you know, this is, this is the guy who invented physics, um, who was far more interested in theology than he was in, you know, apples falling from trees and hitting them in the head. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is, this has been the pattern of, of the church historically that, you know, all truth is God's truth, that um, we should be equally interested in understanding how the universe works and why it points to God's care for us. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's, I mean, this was, you know, a few years back, Bill Nye and uh, Ken Ham had the great debate, which was embarrassing. It was a dumpster fire. Yeah. And the problem was that it was established on a presupposition that is patently false, which is that the work of science and that the work of theology exist in conflict. Um, I would have been far more interested to see Ken Ham bring in a Hebrew scholar to debate whether or not <laughs> the um, the 1850s Darbyist reading of Genesis 1 through 11 is the way Jesus would have read those texts. But, but he can't. Like if he does that, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm reading a book. I posted about it on Facebook before I flew down to Orlando last week um, in preparation for the summer. Called "Science and the Christian Faith: A Guide for the Perplexed" by Christopher C. Knight, who was trained as an astrophysicist and now I can't remember. He's he's a theologian in the Orthodox Church. So. Here's the problem with these debates. Like, yeah, not it's it's a completely different acceptance of what the valid questions in life are. For people who are into scientism, any question that goes beyond the scientific explanation of the world is not a valid question. So why is there something instead of nothing is answered with, well, here's our theory of how the universe began. Um, it, it's just a completely different starting point. Which is, again, a how answer. Exactly. Not a but, why answer. but the how are, is, is the only valid knowledge that in, in this, you know, where science becomes your faith. Um, it's the only valid knowledge that there is, which irks me because it throws out thousands upon thousands of years of great thinking. So this dude on Pints with Aquinas, Matt something or other was his last name. Like His last name was something or other. Huh? Yeah, I don't oh. remember. It wasn't Matt Fratt. It was, it was the guest. So like this guy seemed really great. Um, 
but here, and, and I love, I love it when people think critically about the faith, but here's the problem. Like he said that the resurrection is not reasonable because there is no evidence. Well, then he says, but I'm not a historian. Well, okay, so I hate to break it to you, dude, but like the, the, the accounts in the Gospels, um, the fact that the church exists when other messianic movements pattered, pittered out, and the fact that... <laughs> All right. So we have the martyrs, the people who were so convinced that Christ was resurrected and should be worshipped as God as opposed to the pagan culture around them, as opposed to the emperor, you know. Uh, the fact that they would willingly go to their death for this belief. Like, there's... N okay, now, to be fair, he's like, well, lots of people die for their faith. And, uh, you know, he brought up the... Um, unfortunately, he brought up, like, Islamic terrorists, people who take the Islamic faith. So there's a big difference, right? Like, Christians were promised a reward, but it was a reward... Like, you don't kill other people to get this reward, right? Like, you, you don't seek out death. I think even beyond that, right? Like, you have, like, a, um, a jihadist. They, they are not eyewitnesses to Muhammad receiving a word from God. Like, the difference is that we have many martyrs from the early church who saw Jesus with their own eyes, both performing miracles, dying, and in, in his resurrection, who died saying, look, I saw him. He came back. Go ahead and kill me, but he came back. I can't say that he didn't. Yeah. I mean, I think that's... They never recanted. And this is the thing about, unfortunately, oh, maybe I'm opening us up for some hate mail. That might be fun. So here's the thing about Islam, about um, the Latter-day Saints, about these, these movements to reform Judaism or Christianity. Where they differ is uh, the witnesses, quote-unquote, to the tablets that Joseph Smith received, uh, recanted hmm. while they were alive. Um, that Muhammad received this word directly from the angel while he was alive was, was questioned, right? The disciples of Jesus never recanted, never backed down, and people in their circles didn't either. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And this is not like, uh, now, unfortunately, people have committed great atrocities in the name of Christianity, right? But just like, just like a jihadist, um, a terrorist, doing that in the name of Islam does not mean that that's what Islam actually is about, right? Like, there's also a difference there. There's some brainwashing and um, 
Yeah, it, it, I was like, that's not the same thing at all. But anyway, my whole point was this dude, like, so, so first century people did not understand medicine. Like, like he wanted everything to be held up in a court of law, right? Uh, he wanted evidence. Well, the evidence is history. Yeah, there were no uh, smartphones with video cameras. Right. Be nice if there was. There, there, but and then, and then my other favorite thing is like, well, if this God exists and he wants to have a relationship with me, he could provide me evidence. And I'm like, well, that kind of defeats the point because if God exists and wants to be in relationship with you and provides you positive evidence that you cannot absolutely not refute, you are no longer free to love God. You are compelled, right? It's true. And, that, and there is evidence. Uh, yeah. Right? There's, I mean, yeah. it's... Um, yeah. Like, it is... Uh, so, basically, the theory goes that if you have a billion chimpanzees sitting at a billion typewriters and you give them a billion years to type, one of them will perfectly type out King Lear. Like, front to back, correct punctuation, everything will just randomly happen eventually. Uh-huh. If you have a billion chimpanzees on a billion typewriters typing for a billion years, it has to happen. But here's the thing. like, Even if that were so, you would also get a whole bunch of near misses. Mm -hmm. You would get other works that are perfectly put together. And we just don't see that in the universe. Right. Right? Like, um, I mean, you know, with, with my wife being in medicine, and she's done critical care nursing in three different areas. And, like, her big takeaway is that there are so many ways for the human system to go wrong. So many. Like, thousands of ways that things can go wrong. And that so much of it goes right for so many of us so often mm-hmm. is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in, in the so when we talk about in previous podcasts, normal and abnormal, right? Like statistically these things, right? Like this is normal and abnormal is not a value statement. It is a statistical statement. When something, when the odds of something happening are so statistically rare, we, um, we often say those things are impossible, right? Like, it, or, yeah, yeah, it just, <sighs> yeah, the odds of the universe and everything falling together the way it has is so unlikely that there has to be a why behind it. Well, and, and that it did fall together and... 
and it's not purely utilitarian. Right? I mean, that, that there are things in this world that don't just comfortably fit into an idea of the fit surviving, but that are peculiar and interesting and playful. No. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, it, yeah, it's, it, it, it takes, uh, it, it takes more faith to look around and be like, you know, there is no design to any of this. It's all just random. Then it does to say, you know, maybe, maybe, I mean, just let's throw this out here as a possibility. Maybe there is a being somewhere in this universe that has more power than I do. That put this together <coughs> in some way. I mean, even even the thought that, like, you know, my kids can get on Minecraft and create a world. Like, you don't think they're Minecraft characters? Like, oh, I'm... I'm the biggest thing in the Minecraft universe. Like we, we like you have to think that our desire to create, whether that's you know, SimCity when I was a kid, <laughs> or Minecraft now that our kids are kids, or you know the doll houses back when you were a kid, right? Um, what are you saying, Caleb? You know exactly what I'm saying, Serena. <laughs> we had Railroad Tycoon, okay? <laughs> yeah, when you were in high school. Stop it. Stop it. Anyway. But anyway, um, yeah, like... Like, human play has always had this element of creativity. It's always been the creation of a new world. Um, and I have to think that that is, you know, part and parcel, you know, due to being made in the image of God, that God is inherently creative. And part of what we inherited in creation is the desire to, to create. Yeah. Now, I mean, we know other animals engage in play, mm. right? And we know other animals can build things, but not the same way that humans have come to build things, right? And I, I will say this, like I want to be fair to uh, any atheist or, or any person who um, is, you know, deep into scientism. Like, I don't think that there's a lack of wonder or wonder, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, I, I follow... Um, Oh, this is terrible. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. Yes, on TikTok. Um, you know, he talks about, like, particles of stardust being a part of who we... Like, these things are inherently wonderful. I think the difference is, is that he would say, this is just the way the universe works. Isn't that amazing? And I would say, this is the way the universe works. Why is that the way the universe works? <laughs> Like, how did this, like, why are we this way and not this way? Why am I a human and not a fish? 
like um yeah and and if someone answers that question i don't (coughs) care that's irrelevant i would say you have no imagination my friend where did your you have a sense of wonder but you you lost your imagination and that's part of what makes you human Also, I just want to put a plug in real quick for the doc- documentary My Octopus Teacher, thinking about creatures that play mm. on Netflix. You haven't you have clearly not watched this. No idea about That's all right. I didn't know who Justin Fields is. Fields? Field. Plural? Singular. <sighs> I don't know. Anyway, like like octopus are amazing creatures. Amazing. Why are they that way? crazy they don't need to be that way anyway i love the why and i think it's a valid question yeah so uh let's let's jump into the mailbag here all right so serena we have a couple things in the mailbag uh this week um, first, kind of picking up on our discussion from a couple weeks ago on hyperbole and mm. the rabbinical use of hyperbole um, that Jesus uses on occasion through the Gospels. Um, the question is asked, what do we do with Mark ten seventeen through 31, which is the story of the rich young ruler? Um, where is it hyperbolic? And where is Jesus being sincere? And this is a, I mean, this is, this is what it's about, right? Like, like trying to make sense of, um, you know, how, uh, how to properly interpret passages like this. I mean, this is, this is a good question. This is, a, um, you know, this is not a, a throwaway, uh, easy answer question. I mean, this is this is yeah. one that you have to read, empowered by the Holy Spirit, um, and the answer might not be the same for everyone. So, now, uh, camel oh. passing through the eye of a needle, Jesus is being hyperbolic there. Yes, right? clearly. Um, in the same way that when I see, uh, you know, a six foot four, three hundred pound dude, I say, "Man, that guy's as big as a house." It would be a tiny house. Really tiny house, like such a tiny house, it wouldn't even qualify for tiny house nation. Right. I mean, it's it is inherently a hyperbolic statement, um, but that doesn't mean that he's not a massive dude. Right. Um. So I mean, I think Jesus really is saying, yeah, it is stinking hard to accumulate wealth and be you know excited about you know entering into glory. Um, because if you created the human heart, like not the organ, but like the, the center of thought, um, you know what riches do. Why don't? Well, and, and I think especially in the context of the first century where um, you know, material wealth was seen as blessing in favor of God, like this would have been like. Are we talking about the first century or oh, the 21st century? Yeah, uh, probably every century since the Pleistocene, <laughs> Serena. What, real quick, why don't we read, uh, I've got it up here if yeah, you don't mind me reading it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Mark 10, starting with verse 17 from the NIV. 
As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Pro tip, this is a claim to divinity. Uh, (laughs) You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Then the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Getting back to the material wealth as blessing. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Okay, so I feel like this uh, just requires some basic, um, you know, remembering back to how we read things, right? There are some contextual clues that while Jesus, you know, was using, is that a simile? It's easier. It's like, uh, what's the other fancy phrase? Similes and, oh no. Well, there's similes, metaphors. Thank you. And there's That's what I'm looking for. Also, okay. Okay. So anyway, the metaphor because this energy drink gave me itchy hands, but did not give me superhuman performance powers. Okay, so the metaphor of a camel going through the needle's eye, right? But here's the clue that Jesus was not using hyperbole when he told the rich man, here's what you lack, go sell everything and then follow me. The man went away sad. And then later, Peter's like, we have left everything because these dudes... Like, Peter was married. They went around and followed Jesus, right? He wasn't fishing when he was a disciple of Jesus. Um, So this is how we know that this particular line from Jesus is not hyperbolic. Uh, Jesus loved this young man, saw his commitment to the law, and also saw that his wealth was getting in the way. And told him to go sell everything he had and come follow him. And the rich young man clearly struggled with that. And was sad because he had lots of stuff. So, it is a great question 
Uh, and I think this just goes back to some basic rules of reading that we often forget about or that we often don't bring to Scripture because uh, we don't want to approach Scripture as though it's solely literature, but we can't check our reading skills at the door when we come to Scripture because it is literature. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's, um, again, it's one of those things that, you know, reading in the power of the Holy Spirit gives us... um, can give us some clarity on, you know, how then shall we live? Right. Um, Because, you know, some of us will be called to exactly that, you know, sell everything, move to the furthest corner of the world and take the gospel to, you know, an unreached people group. Well, and we're all called to some level to... Deny ourselves and live within our means and choose to be generous and yeah. Yeah. So but it's it's a great question. By the way, we don't I don't know that we've talked about this a lot. All right. So we started our seminary careers at different institutions. Correct. My first introduction to Bible study at Asbury was actually an inductive Bible study class, IBS which I found to be hilarious because IBS, for those of you who don't know, also stands for irritable bowel syndrome. So, um, and then followed by uh, Greek one semester and then um, then like hermeneutics. Like uh, Anyway, so Caleb, I bet they taught the same thing at United. What is the first thing we do when we sit down to read scripture? Um, we actually read the scripture first step in understanding scripture is prayer always and every time yeah 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 yeah. oh my gosh you just (laughs) talked about reading in the power of the holy spirit yeah that's yeah that's true you pray for wisdom and enlightenment i'm i i just feel like that was a gotcha question it wasn't a gotcha question i know but but i'm i'm slow today no, it's okay. But I think that, like, you know that, right? Like, it's, I doubt you sit down to read scripture without praying, but it's so intuitive, you don't even think about it. But I would encourage everyone who's studying scripture to make that your habit. When you first pray, or when you first sit down with scripture, you pray for God's wisdom and insight and for the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the words of scripture. Yes, that is accurate. Boom. We have anything else in the grab bag or the mail bag today? We do, if I can find it. Um, I'm trying to remember how how it came in. Um, well, I, I think I can remember the question. Um, it, it was uh, it was basically the question. So, so it would be two weeks ago um, when we preached on John three sixteen. Um, the well, that whole section of John three at the end of the conversation with Nicodemus, um, and the question was: Is John three sixteen the words of Jesus, or is that commentary Ooh. given by? Uh, 
the gospel writer John. Ooh. We uh we historically attribute that to Jesus. Oh no, we don't. This is um Okay. Have you already come up with an answer to this? I mean, I, I think in the context of the chapter, it makes more sense that it's Jesus talking. But in some Bibles, it's not red letter. Yeah. So, so historically, we have highlighted, like in modern times, highlighted the words of Jesus by printing them in red. Um, in the NIV which I think personally is the scripture that I read for um, edification, not the scripture that I go to first, not the translation I go to first for study, um, but John 3.16 is not in red. But here's, here's what this looks like to me. Okay, so confession. All of my um, hermeneutic classes at Asbury were for New Testament were Mark. I took Mark for um, Bible study, the, the inductive Bible study, and I took Mark for, um, you know, learning how to do interpretation. So this, this uh, takes me back a lot to the opening of John, right? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, I'm starting at verse 18, stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So this strikes me more, I, w I guess you could call it commentary, um, more as uh, the apostles summarization of the conversation Nicodemus possibly yeah uh, I mean tying it into the bigger story right of God and, and humankind so no these do not appear to traditionally be translated as the words of Christ himself um, although I don't know that, like, I would not say that it's outside of the teachings of Christ. Well, no, I mean, in my mind, it makes more sense to read it as Jesus continuing talking. Yeah. I guess to me, whether or not um, this is meant to quote Christ does not uh, make it secondary. So I loved Tony Campolo. Did I pronounce that correctly? My hands are still tingling. My brain's a little. Yeah, Tony Campolo, Philadelphia Campolo, Bible teacher at Eastern University yeah. and Seminary. Yeah. yeah. So he referred to himself as a red letter Christian, right? Yeah. He gave priority to scripture that, you know, was quoting Jesus with the idea that. Well, and I, I think it's more so, like, yeah, so I, I remember, like, right before that came out, I saw him at an event in the old Springfield District of the United Methodist Church. Cool. So, back when we had 
14 districts before we went to eight. And guess what? We're about to go to four. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Um, but yeah. And uh, so he, he was saying even then before the red letter Christian stuff officially hit the shelves, um, his conversation was, or his, his claim was that the problem with Protestantism is that we read the Gospels through the lens of the epistles yes. rather than the epistles through the lens of the Gospels. Yes. So I think when he says red-letter Christians, I think he's saying give primacy to the Gospels for the interpretation of the rest of the New Testament and the Old Testament. Yes, which was what I, I mean, you have just said what I was okay. going to say. We're, we're on the same page here. Um, so whether or not this is supposed to be quoting Christ does not make it any less authoritative. Um, which, you know, uh, yeah, it's, uh, gosh, so I think it would be easy to say, like, I think it would be easy for someone to hear red-letter Christians. Well, the only things that really matter in the New Testament are the words of Christ, and that's not, like, that's too simplistic, right? Like, I believe all of the Gospel of John is authoritative. It contains the truth. Yeah. But it's a great question. Fun technical questions. Yeah, and I think um, this is where, you know, my, uh, my lack of Greek proficiency and the lack of punctuation in biblical Greek makes it hard to say with supreme confidence whether this is a continuation of what Jesus said to Nicodemus or if it's a sidebar giving bigger context to the flow of the entire gospel. Yeah. Well, and having not studied, I mean, John is a different type of writing, right? Like John is very poetic. Um, Whereas I feel like the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's a little easier to decipher those things just be just from the, the clues in, in context, right? Mm. I have not studied the Gospel of John enough to know whether or not in the Greek there are some indicators that would say, this is where this ends. Um, but what I would say is that my guess, my guess is, John's using some of the same Greek words there that he does in the opening of the gospel, uh, hinting that this is, this is the tradition that John ties to this particular teaching. I could be completely wrong on that, but that or would be my... Or it could be that John is deciding to echo, in the <coughs> words of, to echo the words of Jesus which have been passed down exactly. to that point. So, exactly. Yeah. So it's a great question. It's fun to imagine, uh, but you know, as long as you don't let yourself get tied up in the "I'm only going to pay attention to the things that Jesus said," because that is not how Christianity works. Yeah, yeah, it's not because you know, as as we've said, it's not a, it's not like there's a court reporter following around, you know, Jesus and the apostles. Uh, dictating that's not how every word said, that's not how people right? thought no like that's not even how the ancient people thought 
And you can't discredit them just because we think differently. That's not how the world works. Actually, that's exactly how the world works. Like that's that's the problem. Like this is this is this is the problem with the modern age is that we have uh, we give such primacy to novelty. Yeah. That you know we've it's it's absurd. My dear friend, mentor, first United Methodist pastor that I had the pleasure of sitting under and working with, uh, one Paul Reisler in Athens. You know, one of the first things he told me, or one of the first things I remember him saying clearly was, if it's new, it ain't true. And being raised Baptist, I had never heard that, right? <laughs> I was like, well, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Every time someone comes up with a new idea about how Christianity is supposed to be, it ends up being heresy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this is this is why, you know, coming full circle back to why we're talking about systematic theology at Trinity, why this has been an emphasis in our you know small groups is because we live in a world that is hostile to the Christian faith. Now, not necessarily hostile to Christendom, right? Like, mm-hmm. not hostile to civil religion that masquerades as Christianity, but we live in a culture, and honestly, every culture in all of human history has been hostile to the Christian faith mm-hmm. because governments consistently want its citizenry to pledge allegiance to it which Christians can't. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord. King George is not. Caesar is Lord. <laughs> or No, not Caesar is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Because you know, if Jesus is Lord, no one else can be. No one else can be. Um, and this is, this is not something that cultures generally are excited about. Just saying it mildly, um, you know. Couple that with this uh, this strong narrative in the modern day of not wanting ultimate accountability to something bigger than ourselves or bigger than you know our our tribe. Um, yeah, like the 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 teachings of the church are, you know, the the culture views them hostily. And as, you know, we're going to continue talking about this as as the the season rolls on, but um, what church history has shown us is that throughout time and space, culture has been hostile to the gospel. But the teaching of the church has been life-giving in the midst of these cultures that are dying. Um, and it's, it, it is, right? Like, we, we live in a world that is dying. Like, we have a culture in society that are dying. And the 
gospel gives life in the midst of that death. Mm-hmm. And has for centuries, millennia. So I was just thinking about this, like um, the modern mind and, you know, if it's new, it isn't true, and culture being hostile to the gospel. And I'm trying to think like a sports fan here, Caleb. And because I'm not a sports fan, I'm probably going to blow this out of the water. But what if we thought about it this way? Okay, so Justin Fields, because I looked it up, and so now I I remember that it's plural, uh, his name, uh, plays football. We would refuse certain plays in football that happen outside the boundary of play, right? Like there are lines on a field, and things have to happen in the lines, right? Mm -hmm. We, We just accept that. That's how you play. Seems true for other sports, right? Um, I think what people forget is that the tradition of the church is the playing field, right? Like, it's this tradition and this understanding that gives us the ability to play the game. I'm betting that I'm not the first person to say this. Actually, as I say it, I think I've heard it somewhere else. I can't take credit for this. But that, that's what kills me about the modern mind. It's like you can't throw away the playing field because well, then you can't – you're not in the game anymore. Yeah, I mean, and I think – so to take your analogy one step further, uh, football fields, the goalposts used to be at the front of the end zone. They've been moved to the back of the end zone. So the playing field can change over time, and we see sure. this happen. Um, but the 53 and a third yards wide, the 120 yards long has been established in the case of the church, because we know that going any wider than that leads to problems. The, the general framework for Christian belief has been established the way it has because throughout time and space, it has been life-giving. Now you can say, oh, but how about the places where Christians did something terrible here? And it's like, well, go back to the creeds. Guess what? They were playing outside the bounds. Like, they weren't within the framework. Yeah. Like, they moved the goalposts someplace they shouldn't have, right? Like, this is... You know, Christians failing to be Christian is not an indictment on the truth of the creeds or the life-giving possibility of Christian doctrine. Well, and that's interesting to me because um, I don't know how old you were at 9-11. I I was in eighth grader. You stinking young boy. No wonder I'm not getting invited to the young clergy cookout. I'm not a young clergy. Anyway... (laughs) So, you know, it wasn't long after 9-11 before people were like, hey, by the way, these folks who, who were terrorists in the name of Islam don't represent Islam. Like, that, that is not a um, healthy manifestation of the Islamic faith. And yet, I, I don't understand why sometimes we don't give that same grace to Christianity in our culture, right? Like, 
the, the Crusades, people like to bring that up, right? Like Islam and Christianity. Both sides were bad actors. Christianity, you know, I think... It was worse. Had it, yes. <laughs> and had the, like... Yes, they did terrible things. But... Um, we don't look at that as a representation of what Christianity is supposed to be any more than I would look at either of the 9-11 pilots and say, like, oh, see, that's what Islam teaches. Yeah. That's not that's not correct. Well, and this is why I've said before, I'll say it again. I refuse to die on any hill that wasn't established before or after 451. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, there are a like, few more ecumenical councils after that that I am willing to say we should recognize. Well, we can recognize them, but I'm not going to die on those hills, right? Like, maybe. I mean, because, like, like what, what's left there? Like, the Council of Trent, post 451, Vatican II. I'm not going to die on the hill of Vatican II, or Vatican I, for that matter. Mm. I might die in the hill of the Council of Trent. I don't know. I can't. I would need to go back through my multiple pages of notes on the ecumenical councils from the class I took in seminary. The history of doctrine. It was great. We spent a week in January talking about the first seven ecumen ecumenical councils. It made me so happy. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I know, because I'm a nerd. Yeah. But What's anyway. more ridiculous is you have a mean to get to, and I need to go to, so. That's right. I think we need to uh, wish our friends a goodbye. We hope that you stay in love with Jesus and stay caffeinated. And uh, Serena, do you want to go ahead and knock down your rating because of your tingly butt? I do. Or <laughs> you know... I wasn't on air saying that, right? Oh, I wasn't I'm, I'm recording sorry. when I said, Caleb, I think that after I stood up and walked around, my butt was itching, and so it was tingling like my hands still are. So I'm going to knock C4 down to a hard eight and a half because at this point it's a little uncomfortable, but it's still delicious. I'd still drink it, and it's still hands down, I think, the best energy drink we've had. I am so excited that I picked this one out this week, and I can't wait to see what you pick out next week. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy the, the, the tingle where my mustache should be that I get when, when I uh, you know, supplement with beta alanine, so it's still a 10 for me, or 9.5. Good, good for you. Hope I don't enjoy that sensation in my hands or on my cushioning. So, yeah. all right, well, with that, uh, yeah. Everyone have a good week. Like you said, stay in love with Jesus. If you have any questions, you can send them our way because we would love to answer them. Yes. And this, uh, well, I don't even talk about this Sunday because it'll actually be two Sundays away. So uh, I think when this one comes out, this next Sunday, uh, Pastor Serena will be preaching on the death of Christ. And that'll be very exciting. So make specifically, sure you're here. Specifically those three days he's in the tomb. That's I'm so psyched. Be psyched, people. He descended to the dead. Whew. Yeah. All, All right. right. Bye, guys.
Put a second pot on. We're gonna learn what's.